And I know that God will give grace. Luke chapter 4 this morning. Luke chapter 4. I'm going to start a new series uh, for the fall about the miracles of Jesus. Boy, I, I enjoy reading about the miracles and the power of God. And I hope it will be a help to you and a reminder. And when you get into a situation, you'll be reminded, hey, that God is able. He healed the brokenhearted and he set the captive free, made the lame to walk again, and caused the blind to see. And so we're good to, it's well, we do well to be reminded about the power of God. And so this morning, I'm going to talk about the miracles of Galilee. The miracles of Galilee. It's an interesting part in the book of Luke. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are vastly different than the book of John in what they record. There's different reasons for that. Of course, John traveled with the Lord Jesus Christ while Mark and Luke did not. And so the Holy Spirit chose to illuminate different things to them. It is very possible that Mark and Luke later on in their lives did travel somewhat with Jesus, or at least exposed to him in some way. And so they had some firsthand knowledge. But I'll explain to you some of the timeline here as we go. But let's read together Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. And then we'll back up and we're going to look at chapters 4 and parts of chapter 5 as we look at these miracles of Galilee. All right, the miracles of Galilee. Now look at the Bible says, in verse 31. Speaking of Jesus, it says, and came down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and taught them on the Sabbath days. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. And in the synagogue there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil, and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and hurt him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. And he arose out of the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. And Simon's wife's mother was taken with a great fever, and they besought him for her. Just mark verse 38 in your Bibles, if you will. If you ever get into a discussion, the Roman Catholics like to say that Peter was the first pope and that he was never married. Well, the Bible says here that he had a mother-in-law. How many of you know that you don't want a mother-in-law if you don't have a wife? Amen. And so, I mean, that's the, the compromise you make in getting a wife. And so Peter had a wife. And so the Bible is very plain about that. So just mark that in your Bible. Verse 39. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she arose and ministered unto them. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. When it was day, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him, and came unto him, and stayed him, that he should not depart from them. And he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities also, for therefore am I sent. And he preached in the synagogues of Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us. Father, I sense that on this holiday weekend, many of our minds and hearts are preoccupied with other things. 
There's barbecues and days off and family time tomorrow, this afternoon, tonight maybe. And Lord, I just sense that, that spirit of we're ready to, to get out of church as quick as we can. I pray, Lord, that you just give us a few minutes. For the next half hour or so, Lord, would you focus us on your word? Father, I need your help. And so, Lord, I pray that you just speak to our hearts. We understand that outside these walls is a world that's lost and dying, headed to a crisis eternity for the most part. And so, Father, we're just distracted by all kinds of things. Help us, Lord, to set all that aside for the next few moments and just focus on the lesson you'd have for us today. And again, Lord, I desperately need your help, and so I ask that you'd fill me. I surrender to you and help me to follow your leading. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. In Luke chapter 4, we are at the beginning of Jesus' second year of ministry that commentators have called the year of popularity. I, that's just a commentary's mark. I, I don't necessarily subscribe to that, or the Bible does not say that, but it's a, a fitting way to describe it, if you will. He said, what happened to the first year and why are we in only Luke chapter 4 and there wasn't much mentioned? To find out about the first year of the ministry of Jesus Christ, which commentators have called the year of obscurity, you'd have to look in the book of John. The first four chapters of the book of John describe Christ's first year of ministry and it's, it's left out of the other three synoptic gospels and for whatever reason, but more, more or less we get into some of the more active ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will. The first year of his ministry, he spent most of his time in the area of Galilee, mainly in Nazareth, speaking in the synagogue, reading the scripture like every Jew would, and establishing who he was in the community before he would step out in more of a public ministry. During that first year, we understand that he was baptized by John the Baptist in John chapter 1. In John chapter 2, we realize that he was tempted of the uh, of the devil in the wilderness. And in John chapter, in Luke chapter 4, we read about that. We also understand that in John chapter 2, he began to make some disciples. Not all of them, but some of them began to gather unto Jesus and he would take that time to disciple them and teach them. It was during that time in that first year of obscurity that he would make a trip over to Cana of Galilee which really was not on the Sea of Galilee as most of Nazareth and Capernaum was at the north and uh, Magdala was in the northwest and there was Tiberias and all these cities that, that went around that lake, Gadara, for the demoniac of Gadara. But Cana was off to the west. It wasn't right on the waterfront. And Jesus would make a trip with some of his disciples and there his mother would challenge him to Turn water into wine, and Jesus did just that. You'll remember that Jesus said to her, Woman, my time has not yet come. I remember a Sunday school lesson about that one day, and Wade getting in the car and calling mom, Woman. And said, Well, Jesus did it. It still didn't go over very well, let me tell you. He would turn water into wine, and from Cana, he would not return into the area of Galilee, but instead he would head south to Jerusalem, and there he would attend the Passover, and we would see the first cleansing of the temple. From there he'd return home, in John chapter 4, the Bible says as he returned into Galilee, he must needs go through Samaria, and he would meet the woman at the well of Jacob. And there he would save her soul, and many others would believe on Jesus Christ because of the testimony of that woman. But the Bible says that he would return into the area of Galilee. Galilee. 
Luke chapter, four, or Luke chapter 4 and verses 14 and 15 record that little gap in time. That year of obscurity is, is labeled in, in verses 14 and 15. It says, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee, and there went out a fame of him throughout all the regions round about. And look what it says. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. That's what he did the first year. John chapter 1 records it in more detail, but for that first year he taught in their synagogues. Traveled around the area of Galilee and taught the Bible and the fulfilling of prophecy. And perhaps in the, the last six months of that first year would begin to talk about the ministry of John the Baptist out in the wilderness and what was going on with him. And so Jesus was starting to fulfill the things that were about to happen in his life. And in Luke chapter 4, though, we read an important preface to the miracles of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice it today. Don't miss it. The Bible says in Luke chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible plainly says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He said, what was he doing at Jordan? Well, in the previous chapter, we read that he was being baptized by John the Baptist. If you have a map in the back of your Bible, as a child, you probably spent time trying to get through a church service by reading those maps. I, I know I did. I'll confess that. And so I, I remember that the Sea of Galilee and then Jordan comes off the south of it and heads south all the way down to where it empties in the Dead Sea. But we see there, as he came out of Jordan, the Bible says he went into the wilderness to pray. And there we know he was tempted of the devil. Now notice the wording of scripture it says he was full of the Holy Ghost and then he was led by the Spirit. Now let me just throw something out there real quickly, just a, a remark about this it has nothing to do with our message, but I, I don't want you to miss it this morning. There's a lot of us that, that go through our weeks and we get into the word of God and we do our devotions and we pray and we'll say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever prayed that? The Bible says, be filled with the Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, we're in success, but be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. We, we can quote it, we know it, it's important that we are filled with the Spirit. The Bible says, walk in the Spirit, that you fulfill not the lust of the flesh. The Bible tells us that, that God gives us good gifts. So who, who, uh, what father that would uh, have a son that would ask for him a bread would give him a stone. And, and, and the passage goes on and says, our Heavenly Father knows how to give the best gifts. And so he will give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So it's important that we go to God and we beg God and we plead God and say, God, I surrender. I want to be as cleansed as I can be. I want to be a clean vessel. Now fill me with the Holy Ghost. But the Bible says he wasn't just filled with the Holy Ghost. The Bible says he was led by the Spirit. Now here's where we get in trouble a lot of times, Christians. We, 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 we get on our face before God. We come to an old-fashioned altar. We're in our prayer closet. We're kneeling beside our bed and we say, God, I, I've read the scriptures. I've cleansed my heart of sin. Now fill me with the Holy Ghost. And God fills us with the Holy Ghost and and then he says, here's what I want you to do. And we say, no. We're not willing to be led by the Spirit. We don't allow that still small voice to prick our hearts like he ought to. And what happens is we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We vex the Holy Spirit of God. And then we're no longer filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now we're indwelt and he will never leave us nor forsake you. But to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God means to yield control to. And often we will yield control to the Holy Spirit of God until he tells us to do something. Jesus was not just filled with the Holy Ghost, but he was also led by the Spirit of God. 
He was willing to obey the Spirit of God. Now look at that. Because of his uh, being pliable and, and able to listen to the God and follow his Spirit, the Bible says in verse 14, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Boy, God got a hold of something there. So Jesus surrendered. Jesus obeyed. And then God filled him with power. You see, there's a process here. A lot of us say, well, God, we want the power of God in our lives. Boy, we want to see God work in our lives. We want the power of God in our Sunday school. We want the power of God in our buses. And we want the, well, listen, you can't just be filled. You must also be led. And you must also obey. And you must follow. And when you follow, the Bible says the, the power of God came upon Jesus Christ. Now, we see the end of the ministry of the year of obscurity. But I want you to notice where it transitions. Where we go into the year of popularity. Look what it says in verse 16 of chapter 4. And he came to Nazareth. I'm just giving you some introduction and some background so we can start this series about miracles to know where did, God's, where did Christ's power come from? It came from God. Because he was filled with the Spirit of God. He was led by the Spirit of God. And as a result, he had the power of the Spirit of God. Now look what it says in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went to church regularly. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him <coughs> the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place wherein it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Let me see if I can illustrate what, what I believe is going on here. They're sitting in church, or not church, the synagogue, they're worshiping, they're reading the scriptures, just like you and I are this morning. Jesus is sitting somewhere in that congregation, and the priest comes to him and hands him the scrolls, and he opens up the book of Isaiah, and he, he stands up, and I don't know if he would turn and face everybody, but somehow his voice was heard, and he would read the scripture from Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And the Bible says he closed the book, or the scroll. Now think about this. They didn't have books like this, did they? They didn't have a printing press. Everything was handwritten by scribes and they were on long scrolls that they also called books. And so they would take those scrolls and they'd have to close them up and carry those big scrolls back to the priest. Now while Jesus is doing that, everybody's staring at him. Now in a normal service, we'll have the choir sing. I'll step up and read a scripture maybe. We'll have the congregation sing, the choir will sing down, the ushers will come, Lori will play the piano for an offertory, and, and things just keep moving. But when Jesus closed the book, everybody stopped everything. The order of service went out the window, and they all just stared. Now, here's something that's interesting to me. The Bible says in verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. This was his hometown. This is where he went to synagogue. And as his custom was, 
as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. How many of you, by reading verse 16, get the impression this was the first time Jesus ever done this? No. It was his custom. On the Sabbath day, I'm going to the synagogue, and I'm going to take my turn reading the scriptures, just like everybody else. Now, whether that was the priest's way of having a service, I have no idea. Whether he said, well, let's, let's pick 10 men today to read some scriptures. And, or I don't know how they did it, but it was Jesus' custom. This was not something new. But there was something different that day. You see, understand the scriptures. For at least the year of obscurity, Jesus had been coming every Saturday, every Sabbath. He'd been meeting with these people. He'd been reading the scriptures. And he'd sit down and everybody would leave the service and not even notice that Jesus was there. Now the priest might have done what I do once in a while. He might have went home and said, oh, said to his wife, did you notice Abraham wasn't in church this morning? Did you see Brother Jacob? No, no, Jacob wasn't there. Was Jesus there? Yeah, I think Jesus was there. But he was just one face in the crowd. But on this day, all eyes were fastened on him. They just couldn't take their eyes off of him. He said, what was the difference? They hadn't seen him in a while. And the last time that Jesus had left the synagogue, he went over to a little place called Cana. While he was in Cana, he was at a wedding. And his mother came to him and said, Jesus, they've run out of wine. Oh, mom. Woman, what have I to do with you? My time has not yet come. What was he saying? It's not, it's not time yet for my year of popularity. My ministry's not yet quite there to burst out. I, I kind of, I think of it like this. I don't mean to be crude in any way, but I, I think of it that somebody that is, that's pregnant. I mean, you're excited to have that baby, but 35 weeks is not a good idea. 36 weeks is not a good idea. 37 weeks, okay, we're getting closer. 38, 39, 40. That's where you want to be. Because that's when it's the best time. That's when it's the appointed time. And Jesus is saying, hey, we're only 35 weeks here, mom. Time has not yet come. But he goes ahead and he turns water to wine. How many of you know there's some people at that wedding at Cana went back to the Nazareth and said, do you know what happened over in Cana? We had ran out of everything, but Jesus said, fill all those buckets with water. And when he prayed and he filled those, they were all turned to wine. What's going on? Isn't this Joseph's son? Yeah. And Jesus never went home yet. Instead, he went south. And he came to Jerusalem, and there while he was in Jerusalem, he went into the temple, and he said, this is to be called a house of prayer, but you've turned it into a den of thieves. He started flipping over the tables of the money changers. And boy, what you could tell was the power of God on him because one man against so many. And word probably got back to Galilee. What's going on with Jesus? Something's happened. Spent some time in the wilderness in between too. He was tempted the devil. That happened before the wedding of Cana. Jesus was baptized, fulfilling all righteousness, went into the desert, then he went to Cana, then he went to Jerusalem. 
On the way back, he met a woman at the well. Maybe word got back to Nazareth. Did you hear about the revival in Samaria? These people that were Jews and intermarried with some of the natives of Canaan around here and the ones that we have outcast, Jesus went down and he was talking to them and many of them now have turned their hearts to God. They wouldn't have understood what salvation was. Let me just give you this as a side note. Jesus was led by the Holy Ghost, sorry, filled by the Holy Ghost, led by the Spirit, returned in the power of the Holy Ghost, and not one miracle took place before it. It was during that time that he went to Cana, and he went to Jerusalem, and he returned to Samaria. And then the Bible says in verse 16, and he came to Nazareth. There's a whole year in those two verses. But in those two verses, Jesus received the power of God. And miracles begin to happen. Let me share a couple things about his miracles this morning to help us lay the foundation of what we'll look at over the next few weeks. Jesus' life, though he was the son of God and he was perfect in his sinless, the Bible says that he grew in wisdom and stature with both God and man. There was a certain glory that was laid aside that God might allow his son Jesus Christ to be both 100% God but also 100% man, God in the flesh. And the Bible says that something changed. The Bible says the eyes of all them were fastened on him. Now look what he says, verse 21. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. I don't mean to say that Jesus was the master of drama. But boy, I wish I could have seen this unfold. Jesus finishes reading the scripture and in their minds, they're, they're remembering Cana of Galilee. They're remembering uh, what was, went on down in the temple and they've heard about this Samaritan woman and the, the people of her village that accepted Christ. And we, 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 they're hearing all this and Jesus gets up and reads the scripture and that day there's something different. There's power. There's authority. And Jesus just calmly closes the book, takes it back to the priest, goes and finds his seat. And when he looks up, everybody's staring at him just like you're staring at me. And he said, today, this scripture's fulfilled in your ears. Well, that made some people mad. The Bible goes on to say, and we want to take the time to read it, that he began to preach and to teach and, and, and to, to expound on what he meant by that. And the Bible says they took him to the cliff to throw him off. They didn't like what he was saying. But Jesus calmly just walked through the crowd. And look, look what the Bible says down here in verse 31. Or verse 30. But passing through the midst of them went his way and came down to Capernaum. Capernaum is the city of Peter. That's where he was born and raised. It's a fishing city on the west side of the Sea of Galilee. If you go to Capernaum today, there's a sign right on the gate that says, the city of Peter, the city of Jesus. Jesus spent more time in Capernaum than he did anywhere else for a prophet is not without honor save in his own country. He wasn't welcome any longer in Nazareth. And so there he would go to Capernaum and there is where he would meet Peter in this next passage of scripture, chapter 5. But while he was there, he wasn't just reading scripture anymore. 
Look what the Bible says in verse 33. And in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice. I want you to notice this morning, the first thing is this. Miracles were necessary in the establishment of his ministry. Miracles were necessary in the establishment of his ministry. You say, what do you mean by that? Jesus had been coming to the synagogue as his custom was. He read the scriptures weekly. He participated in the services weekly. It was his custom to do so. During that year of obscurity, I can't help but think that Jesus was teaching and, and preaching and, and encouraging others within the, the assembly there. And yet there was something different after he started doing miracles. That's when his ministry really took off, when he started exhibiting the power and the authority of God in his life. And I want you to notice about uh, these miracles in the ministry of Christ. They had a, a purpose. It had been labeled the year of popularity, but that's just an observation. That was not what Jesus had purposed in his heart. Jesus had another purpose, and we'll see it this morning. I want you to notice, first of all, that miracles exalted his position. Look at verse 36, Luke chapter 4, verse 36. We've already read the passage, so I'm just going to jump through the verses now. Miracles exalted his position. The Bible says, and they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? <coughs> For with authority, with authority. <coughs> that word authority is the rule of power or government. The rule or power of government. It's not talking about a, a power. This is the word exousia. The Greek word exousia, which means the rule of government or to have authority, if you will. You understand what the word authority means. There's another word that happens just a moment. He spoke with authority and with power. That's the word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. That's a physical power, a life-changing power. But this is a, the authority or the, the power. And see, when, when Jesus had them perform miracles, it led to his authority. Think about this. I stand here today and I preach under the authority of the word of God. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures. They didn't have a risen Savior. They didn't have an empty grave in Jerusalem. They didn't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as eyewitnesses to the testimony of Jesus Christ. They didn't have John the Revelator writing the revelation of Jesus Christ. They, they didn't have the Apostle Paul and the, the pastoral epistles or the, the church epistles. All, all they had was a man sent from God. And Jesus proved his authority by performing miracles. He said, I have the authority. I have the power. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. Hold your finger in Luke chapter 4 and to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And look, if you will, at verse 15. The Bible says, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom... <coughs> And revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his what? Mighty power whom he wrought in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and sent him at the own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all. What is Paul saying to the church at Ephesus? That Jesus Christ is the real authority. He's a name above all names. When I was in Bible college, I went to school with a fellow by the name of Steve Free. I don't know where Steve is today. He was only there for my freshman year, and I don't know whatever became of him. We didn't have internet or cell phones back then. I'm really dating myself, aren't I? And, and so I, I don't know what happened to him. He was from Texas. I remember Steve saying that he got saved. When he got saved, he was practicing the religion of Wicca. The Wiccan religion. Have you heard of that? Witchcraft and all this naturalist, spiritualist stuff. And he said one of the things he really enjoyed doing was playing with Ouija boards. And so he was playing with a Ouija board one night and he said, I was, I had had somebody knock on my door and they told me about Jesus Christ and I was really confused about things and the Holy Spirit of God was working on my heart and he says, that Ouija board, it's got a real power. It's a demonic thing, a satanic thing. I mean, folks, I'm just telling you, just stay away from that stuff. And so he said, I got playing with it. And he says, we were playing with some other guys. And he said this, he says, I finally said to that Ouija board, I want to talk to the real authority. I want to talk to Jesus. And he says, that Ouija board began to spell out a word. And it said, Run. He says, I dropped it and walked out of there and went over to the place where the man had witnessed to me and I knocked on his door and I got saved that night. He says, even the demons in hell know that Jesus is the real authority, that Jesus has the real power. And so we see that miracles were necessary to establish his authority. The Bible says this in Philippians chapter 2, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. That's authority of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, why would I believe that Jesus can save my soul if God has not given him the authority to do so? Jesus said all power comes from the Father. And that's where his authority rested. Miracles exalted his position or his authority. Miracles also exposed his power. In verse 36 it says they gave out authority and power. He commandeth the unclean spirits and they come out. That word power, I already told you, is dunamis, the word dynamite. Consider this, that had Christ not exposed his power, would we believe that he really could rise from the dead? You see, it was his power that drew people to him. That was what caused people to come and hear about the power of God and the power of his resurrection. But I want you to notice slowly that miracles were essential to his purpose. Notice verse 36 and then verse 37. And the fame of him went out into every place of the country round about. Look, if you will, down in verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desert place, and the people sought him and came unto him and stayed him that he should not depart from them. You see, when Jesus performed miracles, people said, don't leave us. We want you to stay. 
The Bible says in, in verse 41, in, or verse 40, you know, when the sun was setting all that they had sick and divers, Jesus brought them unto him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And devils also came out of many crying out and saying, thou art Christ, the son of God. Many, many people came to Jesus for his power. But he gave them his preaching. He shared with them the gospel. Miracles were essential to his purpose. The Bible says in verse 43, or verse 43, and he said unto them, I must preach the kingdom of God to other cities. What's that next word? Also, that implies he's been preaching to all these people that came to him. Yeah, they came for the healing. They came to be cast, have demons cast out and they wanted their blinded eyes to be opened again and their ears to hear. But when they came, he preached to them the kingdom of God. There was a purpose for the miracles. So we see the establishment of his ministry that miracles exalted his position and miracles exposed his power and miracles were essential to his purpose. But I want you to notice, secondly, the essence of his miracles. This is my last point. There's only two this morning. Some of you looking at your watches. The essence of his miracles. First of all, they demonstrated his power over the frail. Look at verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with diverse diseases brought them unto him. He laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. I want to show you three different things that Jesus demonstrated in these miracles early on in the miracles of Galilee, I'm calling them. How many of you believe that God inspired his word? I believe that. I believe that God preserved his word. He kept his word perfect for us. I believe that with all my heart. And so I believe also, because I believe that, I believe that God put things in a certain order for a certain reason. And when I look at these miracles of Galilee, I see three different areas that God touched on that says, hey, I've got power over all three of these things. And they apply to every single area of our life. The first thing, we see the, the power over the frail or the power over disease and death. And the Bible says there was many that came with diverse diseases and they were sick and they came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it reminds me of Simon's mother-in-law. The Bible says in verse 13, or sorry, verse 39 of chapter 4, when he came to her and he stood over her and rebuked the fever. Isn't it wonderful that Jesus didn't have to touch, he didn't have to conjure up anything at all, he just rebuked it. The spoken word and the power in his word is amazing. Just rebuked it. The Bible says earlier on, you see the demoniac that was in the synagogue of Nazareth. The Bible says all he did was rebuke. He rebuked. Later on in these later stories when he's out in the desert, the Bible says in verse 41, and he rebuking them, these demons. So we see, first of all, that miracles demonstrated his power over the frail. Secondly, they demonstrated his power over the fallen. Verse 41 talks about the demons of hell. But when I think about that, and I think about the word fallen, the demons were fallen from grace, weren't they? But here's what scares me. Everyone in this room today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you end up in the same place as the demons. You're bound for a Christless eternity in hell. But I want you to know that Christ has power over that. He can save your soul today. 
He can cast out demons, but he can save your soul. He has the power over the fallen. Just like we see that demoniac there in the temple, the Bible says in verse 41, and all the devils came out of many crying out, saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. And so we see in the essence of his miracle, he first demonstrated the power over the frail disease and death. He demonstrated his power over the fallen. We see the, the demons in the spiritual world that God has under his feet. But then we see in verse chapter 5, he demonstrated his power over the fish. You say, how does that tie in? Let me show you what the Bible says. He's still in the area of Galilee. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee, and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word will I let the net down. And when they had done this, and when they had thus done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that should come and help them. And they came and filled both these ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes which they had taken. Jesus demonstrated his power over the frail. He demonstrated his power over the fallen. But he demonstrated his power over the fish. And he said, what are you getting at? Here's what I'm getting at. There was three areas, I believe, that would touch all of our lives. One, the frail. That's you and me. We get diseased, we get sick, we are subject unto death, but God has power over all that. He has power over our life. He has power over your body. Then the Bible says that he demonstrated his power over the fallen. We see these angels that were cast out of hell. You know the Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual darkness and high places. We, we, we are in a spiritual battle, but I want you to know that God has all things under his feet. He's over the demons, he's over the fallen, he's over control over all that as well. He said, what do you mean by the fish? He has power over nature. He has power over creation. The Bible says the earth is but his footstool. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Now let me ask you something. Is there any other dimension I don't know about? He has power over me. His power over the spiritual world, his power over the physical world. Is there anything else? And just in case you think I'm forgetting about the heavens, the Bible says he has put all things under his feet in the heavens and the earth. Everything. He's, his name is above all. That's where his authority and his power rest. Miracles in the ministry of Christ authenticated all of that. Now let me give you one more thing and we're done. I want you to notice that when Jesus demonstrated his power over the fish, it wasn't just about the fish. It was about the fishermen. You see, there's a purpose. And the purpose was to get the message out. And God's power went before him and his authority went before him in the form of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. Why? That he might reach people with the gospel. And I want you to notice the reactions of these men. The Bible says in chapter 4 and verse 36, look what it says when he cast out this demon, and they were all what? Amazed. 
and spake among themselves, what a word is this for with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits and they come out. Look at verse 37. And the fame of him went out into every place into all the country. Verse 40. Now when the sun was setting, all they that had any sick with divers diseases brought them unto him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Look at chapter 5 and verse 18, or verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord, for he was astonished and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. Can I tell you this? Jesus' power had a purpose. I'll close with this illustration. Sometimes I wonder at the pool of Bethesda why Jesus tiptoed past all those other people that were sick and hurting and reached that one man. I think somebody preached that here one time. Boy, it got my attention. That's true. There was others laying there at that pool waiting for the angel to stir the water. But it was just the impotent man, the lame man that Jesus chose to touch. Jesus didn't heal everybody he came in contact with. You say, why? Because his miracles had a purpose. And it was to draw people to him. That they might hear the life-saving message of the kingdom of God here in, 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 as he preached it in Luke chapter 4. But today it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you trusted him as your personal Lord and Savior? Let me ask you this. How has he touched you? How has his power affected your life? And more importantly, how have you responded to it? The people were amazed and astonished and Peter fell at his feet. Verse 41, I'll give you this thought. Think about this. And devils also came out of many. Listen to this. Crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. What did Jesus do? He rebuked them, suffered them not to speak, for they knew that he was Christ. If these demons, listen now, if these demons were cast out by the spoken word of Jesus, were permitted to speak, they would testify of Jesus Christ. Think about that. Demons that were cast out if they were permitted to speak, would testify of Jesus. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you testified of Jesus? The demons want to. In that day and in that hour, they recognized the real power of the Son of God. For he spoke and they had to come out. And on their way out, they looked at each other and went, Whoa, old Beelzebub doesn't have this kind of power. Satan, who we foolishly listened to and fell from heaven, he doesn't have this kind of power. That old Lucifer, that son of the morning, he doesn't have that kind of power. Jesus speaks and we're out. And right away they said, we better start telling people there's where the real power is. The demons of hell responded to the power of God in such a way that they would testify of Christ if they were permitted to speak. What is our response? I don't know about you, but I was reading that, that's a convicting thought to me. That's a convicting thought. Oh, that we'd be better testimonies of the power of God and the miracles of Christ. I believe in modern day miracles, don't you? Well, I, I sure do. It, it may not 
be as evident and we might not see lightning come from the sky and answer a prayer for us, something like that. I don't know. Sometimes we do. But I see miracles all around us. Brother Buddy Blunkle, a couple weeks ago, had open heart surgery. Two days later, had a pacemaker put in. Three days after that, he was at Rita's Shaved Ice having ice cream. I mean, I'm, I'm guaranteeing if I have open heart surgery, I'm laying there for two months and my wife's taking care of me. I guarantee it. In one week, you say, how'd that happen? Nobody gets out that. Open heart surgery, nobody's out. At a, no, no. That's because thousands of people were praying. That's the power of God. That's the miracles of Christ. They can happen today. It is my hope and prayer that through this series, you'll look back and say, you know what? God did it then. He can do it now. God has authority. He has power. I just need to trust him. Let's pray today. Father, help us. Speak to our hearts. Bless us in this invitation. Remind us of your power once again. Help us to leave this place learning a couple things. One, that we can rely on the real power, the real authority, Jesus Christ, to meet all of our needs and take care of everything that we face in this daily life. And secondly, Lord, may we be challenged that if these demons that were cast out would testify of Jesus, Lord, that we would be better testimonies. For not only did he show us power, he saved us, died on a cross and shed his blood for us. May we be faithful in testifying of Jesus Christ. Bless our invitation time, we pray, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. How have you responded to the power of God? Are you a testimony of him? Boy, the demons in hell wanted to do it. And he stopped their tongues. What about you? Are you sharing Christ? Telling others about his power? How are you going to comfort somebody when you walk into a hospital room? Can you tell them you believe in the power of God? The power of prayer? Well, that God would challenge us and remind us of his power today. The altar's open even now. If God has spoke to your heart, would you come?